As I prayed and sought the mind of God, what would he have me say to you as individual believers living in this pressure cooker, living in this difficult days, difficult circumstances in the West? You never thought that somebody can be arrested for witnessing but, or lose their job. I mean, this is happening all over in the Western world. I mean, I, if you told me that 50 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it, but it's happening. But the Lord laid a, 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 a word on my heart that I want to share with you this morning. And I pray to God that we'll use it to bless you individually, to bless your family, to challenge you afresh, to let fear go and walk by faith. Amen? And I pray that God will bless it to KT. This is my second home church. And I, again, mentioned earlier that I... I'm an amateur historian. I'm not trained historian. I'm a trained sociologist. But amateur history. I love history. I love reading about history. And I learn from history the lessons of history and apply it to my own Christian walk and my own ministry. And I, I can tell you that history books are filled with evidence of how fear paralyzes and defeats even the strongest and by the same token, faith and courage can really give great victory even to the weakest. Amen. And I think each of us can testify to this reality. One of those historical uh, evidence that I like to share is verse of fear versus faith is recorded in the naval battle between Britain and Spain when the Spanish Armada came and they wanted to invade England and, and pull it back to, to Rome. And it took place in July of 1588. Uh, the Spanish forces were so powerful, particularly their navy. And uh, the Spanish Armada was much larger than the British at that time. They had huge ships and big cannons. And, and the British Navy was at that time was no match to the Spaniards. Um, and while... Uh, it looked so bleak for England at that time. Sir Francis Drake, with courage and with, with faith, he decided that he's going to engage the Spanish Navy right there in the British Channel. And so he set eight empty ships on fire and he sent them on to, in the midst of the Spanish Navy. The Spaniards and their navy became so fearful, they didn't know what, that was, what was this about. And so they began to retreat and in their fearful retreat, an ill wind came and pulled the entire armada and blew it into the North, Shea, uh, the North, North Sea. And uh, there, the entire Spanish Navy literally was beached at the Flemish coast of Belgium. Why you say I'm telling you this little bit of history? You see, we got up and got up early and came here and, and uh, you tell us to, to, to learn some, some historical fact. No, no, no. This... There's method in my madness. Just be patient with me. <laughs> what I want to point out to you is that I can repeat that a hundred times in different, different times individually in people's lives that I've ministered to in the last, I've been ordained now for 45 years. Uh, a moment of fear caused the collapse of the entire Spanish empire. As a matter of fact, after the 16th century, Spain never became what it was again. Because of a moment of fear, they decided to retreat instead of going forward. 
And I know this, and you know this. If you ever get to the point of taking counsel of your fear instead of faith and courage and reliance on the living God, you will experience defeat. You will become a victim and not a victor. Uh, this happens to believers, individual believers. It happens to ministries. It happens to companies even. It happens to churches. And yes, it can happen to nations. Whenever you stop advancing in faith, you are retreating in fear. Whenever you cease to move forward, you're going to go backward. Whenever you stand at the crossroad of life, you can have two choices. Either take counsel of your fear and begin to retreat and begin on, on the road of defeat or exercise faith in the living God and trust the one who says, trust me and I will bless you and move forward. You can be frozen in your mountain of impossibilities or you can trust the living God to do the impossible. E. Stanley Jones was one of the great missionary statesmen to India. One of the good Wesleyan evangelists. And here's what he said. He said, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry, anxiety are the sand in the machine of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. And I want to say, amen belongs here. Amen. Now, you know and I know that fear had imprisoned more people than Brexton. That fear has put more people in chains than we can imagine. Fear had stifled creativity. Fear destroys many a dreams. Fear is the number one enemy of Christian witnessing. Ask yourself the reason why you're not witnessing and you're going to discover deep down it is fear that's holding you back. Some people can lose their job. Some people can, can, be, can be brought to courts. Some people can be, lose their family. Uh, we see it in the Middle East particularly. We see it in the Arab world. We have a wonderful, precious young woman from uh, the Middle East. I one mentioned the country. And, 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 and her, her family just rejected her completely. They want nothing to do with her. And she said one time, she said, you know, because of Jesus, I lost my family. But Jesus is everything. Amen. Fear is the number one enemy of doing great things for God. And I want to challenge you today. This will be a day and this will be a moment of decision that you're going to move forward in faith. Because Satan loves to see the believers in fear. And it's, as a matter of fact, that's why the Apostle Paul calls it by name. He calls it the spirit of fear. It's a spirit, it's an evil spirit known as the spirit of fear. And that is probably the one spirit that invades the lives of believers more than any other spirit. And today we're going to send him fleeing. <laughs> Will you turn with me please to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus, chapter 14. And there I'm going to point out to you how God deals with this whole issue of fear. There's nothing like the Word of God that gives us the courage we need. 
Chapter 14, beginning at verse 10. Now, I need to give you the background, the context for this passage, because by the time you get to 14, there were a whole lot of things that had happened. The people of Israel, just as God told Abraham, he said, your descendants will go to Egypt and they will be enslaved for 400 years. He told them that ahead of time. And right on schedule, Joseph gets into Egypt and then the family, the, 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 they start growing in number and his family comes in and they, then they become upward of 2 million people in 400 years. And so God remembered his people and he wanted to deliver them from that slavery uh, of Egypt. And so he sent them Moses. And Moses comes in and stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a type of Satan in the Bible. And he stands before Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And then Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then 10 times, 10 supernatural interventions of God, plagues, judgment, every one of them was directed on one of the Egyptians' gods that they worship. Even the one when there was total darkness, all of a sudden their beloved Ra, sun god, is disappeared and they can't find him. And uh, frogs, they worshiped frogs. Everything that you find in these plagues, 10 of them in Egypt, were against the gods of the Egyptians. And God even wanted to get the Egyptians to believe in him. But the grand finale was the death of the firstborn. God told the Israelites, you get a, a lamb and you shed the blood and you put the blood on the doorposts. And then the angel of death is going to come in and he said, I'll see the blood and I will pass. That's what it's called, pass over. In the Jewish calendar, Passover, he sees the blood on the doorpost and he's going to pass. And the firstborn of Pharaoh was dead. That is the future God of Egypt is dead. And it was a total devastation. That last one was an absolute devastation. And after all of that, finally, the Israelites under the leadership of Moses, they leave the land of slavery and they go straight into the, 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 the wilderness, into Sinai. After all that they have seen in Egypt, what they've seen, what Yahweh had done. The moment they get out of Egypt and they face the first challenge, and they looked, and there's the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh and his army behind them, the wilderness and the desert and the mountains beside them, what did they say? Oh, God is going to deliver us from this one too. Right? Can you find that in your Bible? God did some great and mighty things in Egypt. He's going to do it again. Amen. He's a mighty God. Amen. He manifested his power ten times before our own eyes. We saw it. He will do it again. Not on your life. They didn't say that. They panicked like all of us. We, can have, we would have seen God's working and his hand in our lives. It's, it's, without a doubt, we know the supernatural intervention of God. And then the moment we face Mount impossibility and what we say panic we panic they panicked put yourself in their place in front of them is the Red Sea behind them 600 chariots of Pharaoh's army besides them the mountains by the way I got to tell you something I have I, I, I used to go to Egypt every year preach there have a ministry one year, I had some Americans with me, and they wanted to go and see the, want to see the, 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 the museum. 
And I am not a tourist. I have been to Brazil six times. I've never seen the Statue of Christ. I've been to Indiana how many times? Never seen the Taj Mahal. And believe it or not, I grew up in Egypt. I saw the pyramids once. As with tourists. <laughs> I'm just not a good tourist. But this time, our Muslim guide said to me, he said, you know, they're opening the mummy's room for the first time in a long time. And we don't know how long it's going to be. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to look. He said, I can't go with you because Muslims are not allowed to look at dead bodies. And when you come out, I'm going to talk to you. But I want you to watch and see one of those mummies is more bleached than the others. All the others have my skin color. This one was as white as lily. And I come out and he said to me, did you notice? I said, yes, sir. What is that? He said, that is the Pharaoh that your Bible said was fished out of the Red Sea. And that's why he got bleached in the sea. He looks like Swede, not Egyptian. And so, oh, it's amazing how a Muslim believing more history than we people in the West. And so they were facing this dilemma, facing this impossibility. What would they do? They had three options. I'm going to show them to you in a minute. But before I get to those options, I want you to think with me. And I want you to focus with me just for a minute. The moment you make a decision to do something great for God, you're going to hear three voices, not two, three. You got that? Three voices. You're going to hear the voice of Satan, who's going to say to you, and it's probably the loudest and the clearest, is going to say to you, retreat, go back, give up, give in. You cannot succeed. You gave it your best shot. Now. You're not going to make a difference. Go back. But then you're going to hear another loud voice, not quite as loud as Satan's voice, and it's your own voice. Have you ever tried to answer your own prayers? I tried once or twice. Failed miserably. Your own voice always says, stand still. Look for a way out. Try to hang in there. I told the 9 o'clock congregation, I had a dear friend named Jerry Bevan. He's exactly the same age as Billy Graham. He... He, he, he literally was the man that God used to take Billy Graham globally. And uh, he was in his 90s. And he would call me to encourage me from California. Went to be with the Lord last year. But he always, before he hung up, he said, hang in there, baby. I wanted to say to him, Jerry, don't say that. I can't stand that statement. What does it mean, hang in there, baby? But I didn't have the courage to do that. He's an older gentleman. <laughs> Then there is a third voice, and it's the voice of God. And you know, I, let me warn you, it's always the faintest, always the smallest voice. And he's saying to you, go forward, onward march, trust in me, trust me, be of good courage. I've stood with you before, I'm not going to leave you now, lean on me, call upon me. And these three voices were actually uh, the voices that you're going to see here in Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 8. You found it? You got your know, iPhone, iPad, and all those i things? <laughs> I tell my congregation all the time, as 
Rich here, my colleague, knows this. I said, look, there is a camera in heaven watching you. If you turn your iPhone or iPad, other than to read the scripture, and if you're doing your texting or whatever it is, God is watching you, and you're going to pay a heavy price. <laughs> so if you have it, follow it with me. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelite looked up, and there were the Egyptians. <laughs> and they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. Now, how many of you believe that you can do the right thing for the wrong reason? They cried out to the Lord. That's a good thing. But they cried out in fear, in distrust that he's going to provide for them again. That's the wrong reason. Look at verse 11. When they turned to Moses, they began to blame Moses. And they fabricated a statement. They said, we never wanted to leave Egypt. Why did you bring us here? Just think about this. After 400 years, when they're waist deep in the mud of Egypt, dancing the two-step at the, at, the, at, at, the, at the brick vats of Pharaoh, you would think they were ready to do anything, go anywhere other than go back. But no, they want to go back. <laughs> now, I, I hope everybody's listening. I don't care whether they're young or old. Whether you're 16 or, or 14 or 60 or 100, listen carefully. Regardless of your age, you attempted to a point in your Christian walk of saying, I have served enough, I have given enough, uh, I, uh, 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 I have done enough, and you begin to curtail your ministry. Some of you are thinking that today. You came to the church this morning in your head thinking, well, I've done enough, I served God enough, and I really don't need to do any more. I'm going to give an opportunity to the younger generation. Let me tell you something. I want every older person like me here today to be like Caleb and say, give me that mountain, regardless of your age, because God wants you to go forward. God says your best years are ahead of you. The greatest days of service are to come. Your greatest work is yet to come. Amen? Amen. And I pray that this is the case for each individual and for KT, whom God has blessed so wonderfully. I live in an area with a bunch of retired people who are in a high rise. And, and, and you know, I see these dear people, some of them who know the Lord, and, and say, you know, I've done enough. Now it's time for me to play golf. How many golf games can you play? It's ridiculous, wasting their days away. And they say, well, I've done enough. I served enough. I gave enough. Question. Why did the Israelites want to go back to the mud of Egypt? Why did they want back to the whips of the lashes of the slave masters on, on their back? They were fearful for their life. Now, I don't want to be unrealistic and say that fear is not natural. Fear is like every gift that God gives us. And he gives it to us for a reason. When God gave us the gift of fear to Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them that gift so that they may fear God. But like everything else at the fall, got inverted and perverted. And so instead of fearing God, we fear people and fear circumstances. 
And so out of fear, they wanted to go back to slavery. And that is not an option. It's not an option. I know fear is natural. But here's the question. When you experience fear, you have two choices. You can defeat fear by faith, or you can stay in fear. Now, staying in fear is a sin, because God promised all that you need in order to move you forward. As I said, it's very natural to be anxious in the face of difficulties and, and impossibilities. And I, I just said, I'm not unrealistic. I'm very realistic. But when you allow these natural feelings of fear and anxiety to stay and remain in your life, it makes all the world of difference whether you're a victor or a victim. Are you with me? The Israelites did something else which is also natural. They turned on the leadership. Hello. Because God is invisible, right? Moses was very visible. <laughs> leadership is very visible. And so they turn on leadership. And they sarcastically said to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Now, can you see the sarcasm? I mean, graves are everywhere in Egypt. Everywhere you turn, there's a pyramid. <laughs> and these are the grave sites. Verse 12. Did we not say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? We would rather serve the Egyptians? Where? Where did they ever do that? Where did they ever say that? That's never happened. How many of you know that people tend to lie out of fear? It's the number one reason for lying. Fear. There's not a shred of evidence they ever said to Moses, oh, we love it here in the mud of Egypt and the whips on our backs. Only one time when Pharaoh doubled their, he said, you double your product every day and you go out and get the straw. And then they really complained to Moses. But that's the only time. And they never said, oh, we love it here. No, not one time. But when you are under the gun, you're going to blame everybody else. Everybody else. In fact, they were very happy. They were excited. They were thrilled. They were overjoyed during those 10 times when Yahweh manifested his power uh, against the gods of Egypt. They were delighted to have light when uh, the rest of the Egyptians living in darkness. They were delighted when the Egyptians had frogs everywhere and they didn't. They were delighted with every one of those plagues when God was punishing the gods of Egypt. Think with me for a minute. Think just for a moment, okay? Had the Israelites gone back to Egypt, then you might as well have canceled what God did in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, you might as well have sent back to the Urs of Chaldeans. You might as well cancel Abraham's faith. You might as well cancel and do the faith of Jacob uh, and Isaac and, and, and Joseph. You might as well have canceled the entire history of God's people. You might as well invalidate the future of God's people. Why? From the loins of some of these people, the seeds of, of, of David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and Elijah, uh, to say nothing of the fact that the, in the loins of some of these men were the human seed of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But you see, Satan from the beginning wanted to stop Jesus from being born. All of the future was waiting for them as they stood still and said, we want to go back. My mind is not capable of fathoming what could have really happened had they gone back. I, I just can't, I, I can't visualize it in my head. Ask yourself this question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. Well, some of you are. Are you all ready? Yes. All right. How many times that God wanted you to go forward, but you took counsel of your fears and you went back? Only answer that to yourself. How many times God wanted you to go forward and be liberated and set free from whatever addiction chains that are holding you back, and yet you went back? How many times God wanted to bless you His way, but you insisted on God blessing you your way? How many times God says, go forward in faithfulness, but instead you went back? Did you know that God never blesses anyone who looks back? Mrs. Lot is a great example of that. <laughs> God said, go forward, but she looked back. And the rest is history. At Kaddish Barnier, 40 years later from this very time that I'm talking about, uh, they sent 12 spies into the promised land. Ten of them came back and said, we can't go forward. We have to go back. We cannot go forward into the promised land. There are giants in the land. And they let fear hold them back. And God allowed them to walk around this wilderness around for 40 years. Imagine going around and around and around. The same old bushes, the same old stones, the same old... 40 years. Now, I confess to you, as I said, this is my home church in England, so I, I, I got to be upfront with you. I have experienced those moments of fear. I cannot preach to you a theory. The first six years of birthing the church, that's now going to be 30 years old in, in May, started with 28 people. 28 adults and few children. In the first six years, we faced so many challenges, so many difficulties, that few times I was about to take a counsel of my fear. And had I done that, that church that now ministers to thousands, uh, the, the leading the way, which is in 190 countries, 12,000 times a week, 26 languages, Kingdom Satan, which is blessed by the ministry of Kalandai, that is in 160 million homes in the Arab world, and then in Australia and all over the world now, would not have been here. None of that would have been, had I taken counsel of my fears, which I experienced it, had I dwelt in my fear, all of this would not have happened. Now God might have done a much better job with somebody else. He's a sovereign God. I'm not, uh, as the Australians say, I didn't have tickets on myself. I mean, I don't think God could have done it without me. He could have done it better without me. But I thank God every day for those people back then who kept saying to me, Michael, go forward, go forward, go forward. I will bless them to the day I die. Amen. And so I hope and pray that each one of you 
especially those of you who are members of KT, that you hold the pastor's hand, that you hold Colin's hand up, and you say to him, let's go forward. Let's not retreat. Let's not stand still. Let's go forward, and God will bless you for doing that to your pastor. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus asked two men to follow him, and each of them has their own excuse. And here's what Jesus said in verse 62, Luke 9. And you know, I know I listen to the culture, and people say, oh, these are very harsh words, but they come from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have become a soft culture in the West. Here's what Jesus said, no one. That means no one. Can you say no one? No one. Can you say it again? No one who put his hand on the plow, looks back, is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Satan wants you to go back. Your own voice says, hang in there, baby. (laughs) God said, go forward. Look at verse 13 of chapter 14 of the book of Exodus. Moses, doing the best he could under difficult circumstances, he said to them, Don't be afraid. Stand still. Well, I'm sure standing still is slightly better. Slightly. You notice I said that? Slightly better than going back, right? But not good enough. At least when they're standing still, they're trusting God enough uh, that he will give them victory somehow. They don't know how, but at least when you are terrified and petrified and you put hope against hope that God might do something in the last minute and get you out of the situation. Uh, Isn't that how we comfort each other? I know, I I heard many Christians in comforting each other said, you know, don't give up hope. God may still do something. (laughs) I I, I chuckle when when I hear people pray and say, Lord, I hope that you can do... I want to say, stop. You're talking to the God of the universe, the powerful God who said when two of you agree on something on earth will be done in heaven. You're talking to the mighty God who parted the Red Sea, the God who raised the son from the dead and said the power of the resurrection is working in us. Don't give up hope. God might do something. He may intervene. (laughs) Don't give up hope. There's always the possibility that the wheels are going to come off uh, uh, Pharaoh's chariot and fall off the mountain. (laughs) Standing still was good, but not good enough. Moses had faith, but not to move forward with finality. Moses had faith, but not to understand the necessity of moving forward. Moses had faith, but it was a passive faith. Had they stood still... It would have been just a holding pattern. Uh, Had they stood still, they would have died in paralysis. Uh, Had they stood still, they could have the same result as going back. It is suicidal, my beloved friends, listen to me. It is suicidal to think that you can stand still in the faith. Faith is forward moving. Faith risk taking. Faith is moving out of your comfort zone. Faith is investing and trusting God for the dividends and the returns. Here's the truth. Standing still in your faith is an impossibility. You see, the climb of faith either go up, but the moment you stand still, you're going to fall back. You cannot stand still because it's a steep climb. You either go down 
or you go up. I want to say to you some things that I don't normally feel comfortable saying to other places that I don't feel at home with. But this is, as I said twice already, this is my second home. When this attitude of standing still creeps upon uh, pastors, upon ministry team, upon lay leadership, upon congregations, it will soon be said of them what was said of Samson, that his strength has departed, but he did not know it. Here's the reason why I speak freely at KT, because God is using you in a mighty way. This church is impacting the world. Make no mistake about it. I'm an outsider, so I can tell you that. And it is very easy for you to get into this comfort zone and say, you know, we are doing this and doing that and sit back and let somebody else do the work. <laughs> you look at the condition of the church in the UK. I look at the condition of the church in the US. And as I see how an evangelical after evangelical pastor has bought into this universalism, God is so big and so vast and he's not going to send anybody to hell. These are mega church pastors in America. I just sit sometimes and weep because they're saying Jesus is a liar when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How in the world can they have the, the courage, can, can have the gumption? And if you feel it, you want to weep with me. I never worry about money. I never worry about numbers. I really, my biggest concern is complacency among Christians. I tell my Egyptian friends, and I said it on, the, uh, uh, on television for them, 2013 was a rough year for, for Egypt. Churches are being burned. Christians are being killed. The, the government of the Muslim Brotherhood at the time said, you know, don't prosecute these people. And Christians were killed in the, in the daylight. And the police leave them, leaves them alone. And they were living in fear. They were terrified. I got on front of camera. Now, after 50 years, my Arabic is very rusty. But I want to identify with them. So I apologize for my poor Arabic <laughs> before I started. And I looked at the camera and I said, many of you Christian leaders, I know you. I know you by name. I've been involved in training leaders prior to starting the Church of the Apostles. And I reminded them of the power of God working when his people pray. One of the oldest Coptic bishops, my wife and I have been to his house in 1982, most respected man. He sent a letter to all the pastors, evangelicals, Catholics, everybody. And he said, meet me in the monastery for prayer, day of prayer. This is the monastery where historically, supposedly, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus have escaped and lived there in Egypt. It's a historic monastery. I've been there. And they came from all over the country. And then the congregation saw that the leaders are uniting in prayer for the first time in the 2,000-year history of Christianity in Egypt. And God did the impossible. BBC said 33 million people took to the streets. And they toppled 
the Muslim Brotherhood government. You see, don't ever underestimate the power of God working in you. God is looking for men and women, boys and girls, who fear nothing but sin and trust no one but God and his power working in them. He is ready to do great things in these dark days. Uh, if in my heart, if I pull it out and put it right in front of you, you see that my biggest concern for the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ today, and it could be because we're living in the last days, be the fear of complacency on the part of many a Christian. And so I trust the Lord today is going to give you electric jolt that you would stand up here today and say, Lord Jesus, I want to do great and mighty things. I am not going to be a slave to fear. I am going to be a man or woman of faith. Amen. Complacency, criticism, especially of, of your Christian leaders. Complacency, criticism, and inward looking. It's a package. It goes together. Test me on this. Find the person who's critical. A person, you're going to find that person is full of complacency. And in the end, he's an, he or she inward looking. It was Charles Spurgeon who once said, those who have the gift of criticizing are those who have wrapped their spiritual gifts in a napkin. Satan says, go back. They said, Moses said, stand still. But God said, verse 15, go forward. Why crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move forward and move on. <laughs> Moses was in a posture of prayer crying to God. As far as Moses was concerned, this is a time to pray. But as far as God was concerned, it's a time to move, to move forward. <laughs> Back in 1985 and 86, I was heading up a global ministry headquartered in Singapore and in the U.S. And I was traveling the world. I was going around the world between 77 and, and, and 87. I, I've traveled around the world three or four times a year. I'm constantly gone. Uh, my poor wife really is, uh, if we're in a Catholic system, she would be qualified for sainthood. <laughs> because she took care of those precious four boys. And I've constantly gone on behalf of the gospel, preaching f around the globe. And then I began to pray, and the Lord laid on my heart a vision to start a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I looked in the mirror, and I said, Lord, have you looked at this face lately? A guy from Egypt, trained in Australia, is going to start a church in Atlanta, Georgia. I go from a global ministry to planting a church. It did not make sense. So I kept it quiet, just between me and God. I was in prayer. Every time I pray, God says, I said, no, that doesn't make sense. I, the Lord reminded me several times when I was in a jam back in 1968, 69, I said to him, I go anywhere, do anything. And the Lord says, remember? <laughs> remember he said, I go anywhere, do anything. I said, yes, Lord, but that, you don't really mean for me to plant a church in Atlanta. He said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. 
Never did it occur to me that it's going to be a global reaching ministry. I really didn't. And so for two years, I would pray. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell anybody. I just kept, kept praying. And the Lord basically was getting frustrated with me. And says, look, it's time to move. You prayed enough now. <laughs> and so I, I'm, I confess to you, my, I was deeply concerned. I'm, I got four kids and I'm you know, so well paid in this ministry. And I don't know if I start a church where I can even feed them or put them in schools. And, and, and it was a genuine concern on my part. Not fear per se, but it was a Anxiety. And the Lord then finally did something for, to move forward. I had a lunch with a businessman, and he said, the first question he asked me, he said, uh, what is the Lord saying to you lately? <laughs> and he tricked me. He really did. Well, I blabbed it out. I said, well, I've been praying, and the Lord wants me to plant a church. I didn't realize that this guy is really a blabber mouth. I mean, if you, want to, if you want a secret out, you tell him, he'll tell everybody. <laughs> It was the most amazing thing I've become a dear friend. And actually, it's in my book, Trust and Obey. And when he read it in the book, he came and gave me a big hug because he remembered that moment. By the time I left his place to go back to my office, he already called two dozen people <laughs> and said, guess what? God is telling Michael to plant an evangelical church in this area, which actually didn't have any evangelical churches at the time. Literally, God had to jolt me out of this prayer posture just like he did with Moses. He said, enough, you prayed enough. Get off your knees and get going. Amen. And sometimes, beloved, we use prayer as an excuse for doing nothing. <laughs> Hello. I wrote a book called You Want Me to Do What? Get Off Your Blessed Assurance and Do Something. <laughs> That's the subtitle. You can order it. I'll send it to you. God taught me something very important back on that day, 1986. He was teaching me, and I pray that he's teaching all of us today that there is a time to pray and there's a time to act. Amen. Now, I am absolutely committed to prayer. Our leadership meeting, half the time spent in prayer and the other half in business, because once we discern the mind of the Holy Spirit, we move. But we don't use prayer as an excuse for, for, for not doing anything. In fact, Spurgeon used to say to his congregations not far away from here, he said, it is time for the church to be done discussing and get to work. He said, I believe in eggs, but we must get chickens out of them. <laughs> I don't mind how big your egg is. It can be as big as an ostrich egg. But if nothing is in it, clear away the shells. And then he continued. He said, he said, while committees waste time on resolutions, you do something. While societies and unions make constitutions, you win souls. Too often we discuss and discuss and discuss, and Satan is laughing at his sleeves. It is time to be done with planning and do something. Beloved, here's what I'm going to leave with you. Listen carefully. God was saying to the Israelites, and I believe with all my heart, he's saying it to me, he's saying it to you, he's saying it to everyone who's watching me, and all of those watching online around the world. You're blessed by a huge congregation around the world watching live. That when you go forward, 
God will part the sea for you. Uh, when you go forward, God will remove the obstacles. When you go forward, God will do the impossible. When you go forward, God will bless you in a unique way. When you do your part, God will do his part. When you do the possible, God will do the impossible. Amen? Amen. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Amen. Give God the glory. Give him the glory. Give him the glory. If someone here today would say, Michael, you really have spoken to me. I need this charge. Maybe the first thing you need to do is to bring an unsaved friend tomorrow night and then bring him here to this church to be discipled. Whatever it is God laid on your heart, whatever uh, way the Holy Spirit spoken to you, he's probably not speaking to two people in the same way. But if he's spoken to you, if the Spirit of God has spoken to you, I want you to stand where you are so I can pray with you and I pray for you. And so we pray for each other. Holy Spirit nudged you. He said, hey, you're paralyzed in fear. You're standing still and you can't do this. You need to move forward in faith. Just say, Lord Jesus, heaven is watching. Heaven is watching. God is the one who's going to bless you. God is the one who's going to encourage you. God is the one who sees you. And just stand up where you are and I will be praying for God to pour his power and strength on you afresh. There may be someone here who's never really experienced the power of Jesus Christ converting them, transforming them into a forgiven, uh, redeemed believers. And you know the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you through friends, through uh, neighbors, uh, through co-workers, uh, or through some preaching ministry. And you're here today. Stand up and I'll pray with you. And say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life today. Give me that power, that strength that I can be assured that I am walking with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and nothing in this world will make me afraid. I will not prolong this, but I'll give you one more opportunity. If one last person, thank you for all those who are standing, continue standing. One more person to say, yes, heaven, you're watching, you're witnessing God, you're watching, you're witnessing, the angels are watching and witnessing, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for every precious person who's standing here before you. Only you know what their need is. Only you know what the circumstances uh, that they represent. Only you know the environment in which they live. Lord, I pray against the spirit of fear. I pray in the name of Jesus that each of them will receive courage, that will receive power and self-control. Father, because that is the spirit you give. Remove the spirit of fear from all those who know you and name your name. For Lord Jesus, in these last days, we desperately need to see your hand working in power and might, and we believe it will, and we receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Give God glory. <laughs>